Hi, this is Janie, and you're listening to Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. Hi, folks, and welcome once again. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas, and I am thrilled to be with you once again. Thanks for taking time to join me. Today is Sunday, March 13th. I am really excited about our message today. I'm excited about all the messages we get to share, but particularly this one today as well. And we're going to get into it in just a moment. But before we do, would you join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you and give you praise. You alone are worthy to be praised. Thank you for the privilege we have once again to present this word. Lord, to you be all honor and glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. A fellow stopped at a gas station, and after filling the tank in his car, he paid the bill and bought a soft drink. He stood by his car to drink the cola, and he watched a couple of men working alongside the road. One man would dig a hole two or three feet deep, and then move on. The other man came along right behind him and filled in the hole. There was about 25 feet in between the two men. They worked right past this fellow with a soft drink and went down the road. The man said, I can't stand this, so he tosses his can into the trash container and he heads down the road after the men. He said to the men, Hold on, can you tell me what's going on here with this digging? One of the men said, Well, we work for the government. But one of you is digging a hole and the other is filling it in. You're not accomplishing anything. Aren't you wasting the people's money? You don't understand, mister, said one of the men, leaning on his shovel and wiping his brow. Normally there's three of us, me, Sam, and Jesse. I dig the hole, Sam sticks in the tree, and Jesse here puts the dirt back. Now, just because Sam's sick, that doesn't mean that Jesse and I can't work. Great story. When it comes to the church of Jesus Christ, sometimes people don't think very much of it either. People attend church, but they don't get what they want, and they are just blinded by assumptions and things like that. They just dig holes instead of planting trees. Welcome to our sermon series called What We Believe. We're continuing in this series with our seventh core value, the church. And here's how that core value reads. The church is the body of Christ on earth, empowered by the Holy Spirit to continue the task of reaching the lost and discipling the saved, helping them to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Now that all sounds good and well, right? But what's so important about the church? Well, that's the question of the day, and one that I'm going to answer plus a whole lot more. There are a lot of people outside the church who think, what's the big deal about having a church and going to church? There was a church in the city that conducted a door-to-door -door survey, and they asked this question, if you don't go to church, why? The five biggest reasons they found were, number one, it was boring. Number two, it was irrelevant. Number three, they asked for money all the time. Number four, I'm just too busy to go. And number five, I feel really awkward at church. So let me share a few thoughts I have about each of those reasons. First, some say church is boring. Well, yes, most people can't stand boring, whether it's a TV show, a ball game, or church. Now, I don't believe the church has to put on some kind of carnival act or concert type service, but I do think she has to be faithful to God and his word since praise and strong preaching will make a difference. Next, some say the church is irrelevant. Well, it depends on your viewpoint. I think that what the church presents and preaches is the most relevant thing there is. We present the truth about life and death. 
You can't get any more relevant than that, especially in these times. Next, the church is asking for money all the time. Well, some churches may ask for money too often. I get that. I don't like that personally, and I don't believe we should. If people believe in the Lord and in the church, they will support the church and the mission of the church without having to be bugged about it all the time. Next, people don't go to church because they're too busy. Well, that's true for most people, I think. People are busier than ever, but they won't be too busy to get sick or have surgery or take a vacation day or go on a trip or anything like that. When illness or death strikes a family, then perhaps they won't be too busy to seek the Lord either. And lastly, some will say, I feel awkward at church. Well, I do too, but I'm there anyway. Granted, I have a job to do that's a little bit unique, but I'm still there. How do we make people feel less awkward? We show them friendliness and kindness. Perhaps you've been to a church that doesn't exhibit these, or very little at best. People won't come back and stay long in an unfriendly and unkind church. Think about this boring, irrelevant, asking for money, too busy, and feeling awkward. These things are what some people think about the church. But hopefully, we look at the church from a different perspective. Hopefully, we see the good and the best about the church because there's so much good to be seen. To that end, there's three aspects of the church that are really important. The church is a body that serves. The church is a body that is fortified. And the church is a body that's growing. I want to take a look at each of these aspects with you against the backdrop of our scripture, which is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. So get those Bibles or Bible apps out. Open them to Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 16. First up. The church is a body that serves. Let's look at verses 11 through 13. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. A Baptist minister rushed down to the train station every day to watch the Sunset Limited go by. Now here in South Central Texas, that is the actual Amtrak train that goes from LA to New Orleans, the Sunset Limited. There was no chore he wouldn't interrupt to carry out this ritual. Members of his church considered his ritual very juvenile and worthless. In fact, they asked him to stop. The minister said, no, I won't give it up. I preach your sermons, teach in Sunday school, bury your dead, marry your young people, run your charities, chair every drive that pleases you to conduct. I won't give up meeting that Southern Pacific train every day. I love it. It's the only thing in this town that I don't have to push. We shouldn't have to be pushed. We shouldn't have to be paddled, prodded, or persuaded to serve. We should be, listen to this, we should be willing to serve. The Lord needs willing workers and servers. Many people have that old mentality of, let George do it. But the problem is we're running out of Georges. One day when Henry Ward Beecher was going for a drive, the liveryman brought a fine-looking horse to the door. Beecher said, that's a fine-looking animal you have there. Is he as good as he looks? The liveryman said, yes, this horse is the best in our stables. 
He'll work any place you put him and can do anything. Beecher smiled and said, I wish to goodness he was a member of my church. I've got a friend named Brad who founded a ministry called Rio Bravo Ministries. They're located in Reynosa, Tamaulipas, Mexico, across the border from McAllen, Texas. This is a specialized type ministry because he not only preaches and teaches, but also does all kinds of handiwork for the church. He works on the buildings, works on their old church bus, and does all kinds of odds and ends. Now, obviously, not every preacher could do that kind of ministry. Thank God for people who can do many things and do them well. But some people have the mentality of, well, that's why we pay the preacher. You know, I began my first full-time ministry on May 17, 2004, nearly 18 years ago. I was new to full-time ministry, and I really didn't know that I wasn't supposed to do certain things at the church. Like what, you ask? Like vacuum the sanctuary, set up chairs, replace light bulbs, replace batteries and all the clocks, pick up trash around the church property, etc. I did all these things and more. Why? Because I didn't know any better. Folks, that's not the preacher's job. Seriously, I had the right attitude, though, about serving any way that I could. And that was something that I learned from my parents. Much of what we are today, we learned while we were still young and living at home. If your parents were quick to serve and help, then more than likely you are too. If they were somewhat lazy, well, that will rub off as well. Galatians 5.13 reads, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Seems to me that if we get the love part right, then the service part will also be there. True love comes from God. The more we grow in our relationship to the Lord, the more love we'll have, and ultimately, the more we'll serve. Jesus said in Matthew 20, verses 27 and 28, And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is our ultimate example of service. We need to learn from him. Former academic dean of Ozark Bible College, Seth Wilson, said it well. He said, elders should be servants of servants in a serving brotherhood of love. There it is. What's the right attitude? The right spirit? The serving spirit, of course. And if the leaders of any church have it, then more than likely the members will have it as well. But if they don't have it, how do they get the spirit of service in their hearts? They just start serving, and the Lord takes care of the rest. The more you serve, the more you'll want to serve. And God wants us to be loving servants of one another. It's also important that the church is a body that is fortified. Look at verse 14 of the text. It reads, Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. To fortify us is to protect or strengthen against attack. And those who lead in the church must strengthen the church for the onslaught of deceitful teaching in the world, the false ideas, the false doctrines, etc. And they are everywhere, folks. They're on TV, in the movies, the news media, social media, etc. We're constantly being confronted with false ideas and teaching, and we've got to be able to stand against them. Here's a blatant example. Have you heard about CRT? 
CRT stands for critical race theory. Critical race theory is a modern approach to social change developed from the broader critical theory, which developed out of Marxism. Critical race theory approaches issues such as justice, racism, and inequality with a specific intent of reforming or reshaping society. In short, CRT presupposes that everything about American society is thoroughly racist and minority groups will never be equal until American society is entirely reformed. As applied to spiritual matters, critical race theory effectively replaces an individual personal relationship with God with a tribalistic, ethnocentric, collectivistic system. It also greatly overemphasizes material and social concepts to the detriment or even the exclusion of the true gospel. When and where prejudices are found in the church, they should be addressed according to sound doctrine, not according to an inherently unbiblical approach, such as critical race theory. Now that's just one of the false ideas and philosophies that we're confronted with in the world today. How are we gonna battle against these and remain strong in the faith? How is the church going to be fortified against these crazy sinful ideas? I've had many people ask me over the years, Tim, have you had your flu shot? Yes, I did. I believe my first flu shot was in 1995. And that shot's good enough, isn't it? I mean, it's still working, right? Isn't it protecting me right now? Now, we know the answer to that question. It's recommended that people have a flu shot every year to protect them from the possibility of getting it. Perhaps I need an update then. Or perhaps we could look at it this way. Say I have decided to join the U.S. Army, depending on whether or not I could pass the physical, of course. Well, let's assume I did. In that case, I figure it should only take me oh, maybe about a week or so of training and I'll be ready to go into the action. I mean, really? Come on, man. We all know better than that. One week of training would never prepare anyone for going to war, not even Superman. What makes us think a minimal amount of church attendance will get the job done in the Lord's army, fighting against Satan and the world of evil? It should be obvious that it will take a lot more training than once a month church attendance or even once a week. A woman approached the minister after the sermon one day and thanked him for the message. She said, I found it so helpful. The minister replied, I hope it will not prove as helpful as the last sermon you heard me preach. Why, what do you mean? asked the astonished woman. Well, said the minister, that sermon lasted you three months. What about your children? How are we preparing them for the spiritual battles that they're going to face in their lifetimes? Are they attending Sunday school? Are they involved in Bible study? Even if your children attend Sunday school every Sunday, consider this. If your kids attend school from kindergarten through 12th grade, they will spend approximately 15,210 hours preparing for life in this world. Yet, even if your kids attend Sunday school every single Sunday for the same 13 years, they would receive a whopping 507 hours of instruction to fight spiritual attacks that affect them for an eternity. So what's really more important? The fine worldly education or a relationship with Jesus Christ that lasts an eternity. You can be the most worldly educated person and still spend eternity in hell. What should we as the church be preparing our children for? Folks, we won't get strengthened and equipped for life's battles on one church service a week. We all need to get as much of the word of God as we can, Sunday school, worship service, Bible studies, both 
corporate and personal. Psalm 119, verses 10 and 11 in the Message Bible reads, I'm single-minded in pursuit of you. Don't let me miss the road signs you've posted. I've banked your promises in the fault of my heart, so I won't sin myself bankrupt. Be blessed, God. Train me in your ways of wise living. I might add, so that I might not give in to the false teachings and ideas of the world. Folks, the devil is out to get you, and the word of God is your strong defense against him. It will fortify you against his attacks. And lastly, the church is also a body that is growing. Look at verses 15 and 16 of our text. They read, Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. I just love those verses right there. Grow up into him, that is Christ. There should be two kinds of growth in the church, spiritual and numerical. We should be growing in our personal faith and the church should be growing because of leading people to Christ. If we're growing in Christ, then our concern for others will grow. There was a little church in the suburbs that suddenly stopped buying from their regular office supply dealer. So the dealer telephoned Deacon Brown to ask why. Deacon Brown said, I'll tell you why. Our church ordered some pencils from you to be used in the pews for visitors to register. Well, interrupted the dealer, didn't you receive them yet? Oh, we received them all right, replied Deacon Brown. However, you sent us some golf pencils each stamped with the words, play golf next Sunday. Obviously, the church didn't need to advertise to the world. After the service, a young couple talked to a church member about joining the church. The church member hadn't met the husband before, so he asked what church he was transferring from. After a short hesitation, the fellow replied, I'm transferring from the municipal golf course. I love playing golf, but you know, it's a poor substitute for a relationship with God. Likewise, there's so many things in this world that people choose over God, when in reality, they need Christ as their Savior. And when people truly get converted, they may well leave some other things behind. Some people don't want to become Christians because they know it means a certain amount of surrender, commitment, and sacrifice. Billy Graham tells of a time early in his ministry when he arrived at a small town to preach a sermon. Wanting to mail a letter, he asked a young boy where the post office was. When the boy had told him, Dr. Graham thanked him and said, if you'll come to the church this evening, you can hear me tell everyone how to get to heaven. Well, I don't think I'll be there, the boy said. You don't even know your way to the post office. Could it be that we don't know how to point people to heaven? We don't know the plan. We don't know how to share Christ with others. Or maybe we have another problem. A small church in the hills of Tennessee struck oil on its property. It was a real gusher. And it brought in lots of money to the church to the point they didn't know what to do with all of it. So the board called the congregation of nearly 40 members together and asked them what they thought they should do with all the money. One deacon said, I move that we divide all the money among the 40 members and I further move that we don't take in any new members. Sounds like some churches, doesn't it? Let's just think about ourselves and ourselves alone. Some people don't want to share the good stuff they have. Of course, I'm talking about the best of the best, the gift of eternal life. 
But sometimes we act like we don't care whether others come to Christ or not. Folks, times are tough in many ways. Our only hope of anything better is in Jesus Christ. And our only hope of eternal life is in Christ. We need to work harder at pointing people to Christ and his church. We shouldn't be so interested in seeing the church grow as much as seeing people surrender to Christ and be saved. The church will grow if we point people to Christ. Our goal, though, is to get people saved in Christ. Someone once said, The church is not made up of people who are better than others, but of people who want to become better than they are. The church is a God thing. It's not a man-made organization, but rather a living organism created by God where people can come to know him and experience true family fellowship. The church is not perfect, but she's made up of imperfect people who have found the perfect Savior. And that, my friends, is what is so important about the church. To God be the glory. And all God's people said, Amen. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.